The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. We do the digging so you don't have to. We've got breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Bringing you the biggest stories from the industry you care about. This is the Media Noise Podcast. Well, let's hear it. Now, here's your host, Dimitri Ravanos. Please take the time to rate, review, and subscribe to the show if you listen on a podcasting platform or subscribe to the whole BSM channel if you stream us through YouTube and take the time to do that with all of our BSM podcasts. We would certainly appreciate it. Speaking of all of our BSM podcasts, Stephen Strom is on the show a little bit later today. We will talk about Mike the Mad Dog, Michael Kay, and the whole dynamic of the old New York afternoon radio wars. Certainly they have not gone away, but uh, Stephen Strom had Michael Kay on the Sports Talkers podcast this week, and he shared some great insight and stories about that. So we'll talk to Strom. We will also talk to Jason Ince, whose name I keep mispronouncing as Incy, about the start of the World Cup. It is right around the corner, and from a media standpoint, I don't think we have ever really seen a World Cup like this one that uh, encroaches into American football season while also having a very exciting, very interesting Team USA. We will talk about that from both a media and a gambling angle coming up in just a bit. But first, let's talk about CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, David Zaslav. He said earlier this week uh, to Joe Flint of the Wall Street Journal that he doesn't think that Warner Brothers Discovery needs to maintain its relationship with the NBA, that the way things are currently constructed, with TNT being such a major part of the league's media mix, doesn't necessarily have to stay the same going forward. That if Warner Brothers Discovery stays in business with the NBA, it could be to put the league on HBO Max as their official streaming partner. It sounds a little bit crazy. I mean, Turner Sports at this point is built on the back of the NBA, But I think it's also important to remember that all of these sides are involved in a negotiation right now, and just maybe Zaslav and Warner Brothers Discovery are having to play a little bit of catch-up in terms of uh, strengthening their position. I don't think you go and sign every member of the Inside the NBA crew to a new contract, particularly Charles Barkley who stands to grab a very big paycheck if you are not intent on keeping the NBA exactly the way it is, if not increasing your relationship with the NBA. The kind of money doled out for the Inside the NBA cast says to me that Warner Brothers Discovery, if HBO Max is going to become a home of the NBA, the only way the company is going to do it is if it is in addition to keeping the league's games on TNT. I know what Zaslav is saying. I know what the realities are, at least what the realities that have been reported are at Warner Brothers Discovery, where everybody is making cuts. But all of the actions leading up to that interview seem to indicate TNT is not willing to let the NBA get away. Remember, uh, the, the Turner Sports Networks, now Warner Brothers Discovery, owns a stake in NBA TV. I, I just cannot imagine, given all that has already been invested 
on the way to preparing for these negotiations that their position has actually changed at all. It's been a while since Media Noise welcomed another BSM podcaster to the show, Stephen Strom, who hosts the Sports Talkers podcast. Great conversation that made some news with Mike Florio last week. I think at Radio Circles, his conversation with Michael Kay this week uh, will make some news as well. Uh, Stephen, you're a New Jersey kid, so getting to talk to Michael Kay, particularly the end of that conversation that turned into Kay versus Francesa and talking about what it was like competing, not just with Mike, but Mike and the Mad Dog as well, that that had to be some insight that for years you had been looking for. No, it's Listen, I, I'm, I'm so lucky to do this pod and talk to different people, but when someone that you grew up on, you hear on the radio, you hear on the TV, on the Yes Network, uh, to be able to ask that person questions, hear that voice. It's so synonymous with the Yankees. Uh, it was a really cool moment to have that conversation with him, totally transparent and um, willing to share. You know, I think that's the most important thing that I took away from Michael was like, he gets it, you know, he's in the industry and to be able to speak with him for, you know, 15, 20 minutes was uh, definitely a thrill. I was trying to keep it in the entire interview. <laughs> well, very cool. Well, you asked him a, an interesting question at the end, and that was what he makes of, I, I guess you would call it the post WFAN resurgence yeah. of Chris Russo. Now, that's not to say he went away. Obviously, if you are a New York sports fan, you have been tempted, if not given in and bought a serious subscription at some point to hear him. But the addition of the role at ESPN has yep. raised Chris's profile in a completely different way. And I thought it was really interesting to hear Michael Kay say that that is a presence that there is no one like, because it made me harken back to your interview with Stugatz, where he pointed out that there are so many people like Chris because everybody for so long was doing a Mad Dog impersonation. It was interesting to hear a guy uh, in the market that went head to head with Mad Dog say, no, there's nothing like that guy. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, first of all, let's just first start with, I mean, you have to be a superstar to have like a second climb, a second peak, a second apex, I guess is, is yeah. the word like not a lot of guys are able to do that. And with Chris, the WFAN stuff with Mike and the Mad Dog, incredible. I think a lot of people around here will say it's the greatest sports radio show of all time. It, it really kickstarted everything. And then him making the move to Sirius was a massive one. I think people ripped it, right? Like people were who serious, where serious. Mm -hmm. And now he's had this resurgence. He's taken on a whole new audience. Like people have never heard of this guy, especially people that are my age, 24, younger, whatever it may be. Thought it was really interesting because Kay was in a battle with Francesa for so long and they went back and forth, right? Like Francesa, especially before he retired, Kay beat him in the in the ratings. And Francesa would just refuse to admit it, refuse to give Michael Kay any props. So Michael had an opportunity to really kind of hammer in on Francesa. And I give him credit. He didn't, you know, he, he said if he wanted to be in the sports radio space, he could. I think that what you pointed out just right there, like if Michael K wanted to, he could have said some really unkind things. I thought the way he characterized the relationship with Francesa and when I followed up on do you yeah, still talk like, to him? We're, yeah. we're not we're not good, we're not bad. We're and not eating also, dinner at night with each yeah, other. But also adding, like, we were never exactly bad. He was just kind of rude to me. Like I and and that's what's interesting, right? Because you think about the New York radio battle, and Francesa dominated for so long 
up until the end. The last year, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would be so easy to picture Michael Kay as just bitterly obsessed with taking this guy down. And that wasn't really the case. He was just aware, like, that's the mountaintop, and we're going to keep scratching at the mountaintop. The big drama was for Yes Network, Mike and the Mad Dog right. were simulcast. And then Mike claimed that he didn't want to do it anymore. And then Michael K took over with the Michael K show. And then that was a whole drama thing because Frances said, oh, I left it. I didn't want it. And Michael K said, no, we got offered it. You didn't get re-signed. And that was a huge thing. So um, I I just love K because you can all listen. Michael K doesn't have to really admit to anything. He's the voice of the Yankees. His <laughs> right. career is... Is is set in stone, you know, for him to be that transparent and say, this bothered me like this really bothered me. I was so happy when we beat him finally in the last rankings that I mean, people really need to understand if you don't live in New York or in New Jersey or the tri-state, how vital sports radio is, how important it is. I, I remember vividly getting in the car, wherever it was with my dad and at one o'clock. Um, whether it was I had a half day of school, whatever it may be, or I got home from school. I mean, one o'clock, you would put on 66 in the AM, 101.9 FM, and we would just sing the jingle. And, and it would just be this. It's a staple. It's a staple. I would get home from school. My dad worked from home. This is before it was cool to work from home. Uh, you'd come in. I'd come in the basement and I would hear on his boom box, Mike and the Mad Dog just going after it. And um, it, it's just New York is just different with that. I mean, it's so competitive. You would get callers that say, oh, well, Michael said this about you or Fran right. Francesca said this about you. And it was just this like, like A-Rod gets busted for steroids. Where's the first place he runs? You know, he runs the Francesca. Like that is a huge, that's one of the biggest stories ever that uh, he has this meeting with Rob Manfred mm -hmm. and he goes and runs to the studios at WFN. It shows the power of, of, of sports radio. And I think that's why we all that right here that consume this content. Um, those moments are the reason why we, we love this so much. You know, I, I think that moment specifically also really shows why Michael K would never just say, Hey, look, we're number two, but we're still doing good numbers. I'm still making good money. Right. Like a dude on his team, when running when to, to Francesa with the biggest news there could be, it's very easy to understand the competitive fire in K as it relates. Like that Absolutely. moment is a very perfect picture of why that dude is so competitive with whatever's on WFAN. And Francesa didn't make it easy either. I mean, like, again, he was number one. Like there were shirts that said number one. Right. Because uh, he would constantly remind people that he was the most listened to. So it's not like he took the humble approach. I think you would probably <laughs> see a different dynamic between the two. But I think... Mike knew how to get under the skin and uh, be pompous and, and all that stuff. And, and Kay just didn't take it. The World Cup is going to kick off this coming weekend for Americans. Uh, our team will be in action starting on Monday. Jason Incy, who writes about sports gambling for us, is also covering the tournament for Covers.com and will be analyzing a lot of the games there from a betting perspective. Uh, Jason, we're going to talk about the betting perspective here in just a moment. But first, um, I wonder just, you know, your your gut reaction. This is the first time we've had a World Cup in the middle of American football season. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for Fox, who is carrying the tournament? I mean, obviously, I think it's a bad thing. Part of what the World Cup is trying to do with, with this tournament being an, all the way over on the other side of the world, they have tried to stagger matches to where a match will be played in the afternoon or evening of the local time 
of the teams playing. So, for example, here the um, matches will take place anywhere from very early morning, I think around 5 a.m. Eastern time until about 5 p.m. But they're going to have any United States teams matches played in the middle of the afternoon. So if player if people are wanting to watch the entirety of the tournament day in, day out, they're going to have to choose on the weekends, not just between NFL, but also college football. Right. Which Fox is going to have things going up against. So it's it's going to be tricky. Obviously, when Fox bought the rights, they were thinking summer programming, you know, every four years. But FIFA being FIFA and being <laughs> the money hungry organization that they are, you know, they didn't they weren't really concerned about the American viewing habits when they when they chose to put the World Cup here. Well, what is interesting, I mean, look, FIFA, I think, knew and it's been very well publicized, right? Like as we get closer and closer to the tournament, FIFA starts to be more open about, oh, yeah, we have a problem with this uh, tournament being in Qatar. This is a terrible idea. But, you know, Fox seemed to wield some influence of making sure Team USA did not play at all on the weekends. I mean, the the first match for the Americans is going to be at 2 p.m. Eastern time on Monday against Wales. And I think all of the U.S.'s matches are going to be in the middle of the week to completely avoid football at all costs. So clearly there was at least some input from Fox about what their most valuable properties were going to be during this tournament. No, that's actually just blind luck. So really the, the schedule is predetermined and it's filled in based on where teams are drawn into their groups. So we just happened to get absolutely lucky that we got drawn into the group <laughs> that we did playing on the days that we did so that we don't have to, you know, make a decision between, you know, sitting on the couch watching the red zone channel for seven hours, right. or maybe that's just me doing that or watching soccer. Um, we got lucky enough that they will be on the weekdays. It'll be something, especially the USA England match. It's the day after Thanksgiving. Um, it's, or it's going to be Friday, people are going to be able to go out, go to the bars, hang out with their friends and watch the game. So the timing of it just happened to work out really, really well. Uh, so I do want to ask you from a gambling perspective, what are books expecting? Because if this were in the summer, it would be a, a great thing for sports books, right? Like, because, you know, unless you are a hardcore baseball gambler, there is not nearly as much event gambling to do in the summer until the World Cup comes around every four years. Right now, gamblers are trying to figure out their budget between the NFL, college, and now the World Cup. Are books bracing for a little bit less of an impact than they would get any other year this tournament came up? So there was a study that came out on Tuesday that actually said that books here in the United States are anticipating over $1.8 billion to be wagered on the tournament, with about 10% of American adults saying that they will bet at least once on the tournament. I think with the United States being involved, you get more drive on that than you would say if it were four years ago in Russia where they were sitting out. Um, I think with it being during the week, I think that helps, especially with the U.S. men's national team playing on Monday and Friday. You're not going up against the same issue. You're not going up against NFL betting. You're not going up against people having their money tied into parlays or waiting to see – you know, if they if they hit their 1 p.m. four game teasers, they're going to be able to bet on soccer. And the great thing about soccer is it's a two hour match. You know, right. when it starts, you know, when it's going to end, you can bet on matches. There, None of the matches will be played at the same time. So people will be able to bet on one. They get their winnings or they find out how much they lost. 
and they roll on to the next match. I think for Fox, their biggest issue is that they're not going to get a whole lot of windfall from this because they're using everything in terms of bets and analysis through Fox bet and Fox bets only legal in four states. Yeah, that's that is, uh, I think, the bummer for Fox of getting the World Cup, having their name on a sports book, you know, the the. Whatever the deal is going to end up being with FanDuel, we're still years away from that coming to fruition. Maybe by the time we have the World Cup in the United States, we'll know <laughs> a little bit more uh, about that. I do want to ask you about Team USA real quick and how this current makeup affects not only casual fan interest, but betting fan interest as well. The last time Team USA was in a World Cup, you know, it graded all these guys were not on the team at the same time, but. Landon Donovan, Clint Dipsy, Tim Howard, like these guys had been part of the national team for so long that if you were a sports fan, at least, they'd kind of become household names. Now, maybe a hardcore sports fan knows Christian Pulisic, but this is a big unknown. How much does that affect in a country as casual about soccer as ours? How much does that affect TV and betting interest? I think the first thing that helps it is the fact that you do have the World Cup here in 2026. And most fans know that. So a lot of people are going to tune in to kind of see, you know, what the team looks like. This is a very young team. It's the, I believe it's the youngest average team in the tournament. And that's a good thing and a bad thing because you don't have the big household names. Like you said, most, most fans are going to know Christian Pulisic, but Giovanni Reyna, he's a 20 year old kid. He's the son of Claudio Reyna, who's a former U S men's national team star, also living in Raleigh, I have to point out, former <laughs> NC State star as well. <laughs> he's a terrific talent, but he's been hurt a ton. He's able mm-hmm. to get into this tournament healthy. He could be a breakout star. He could be the next big player, the next Landon Donovan type. And I honestly think when it's all said and done, he'll be better than Pulisic. It's going to be interesting to see how fans feel about this team without the Tim Howards, the Landon Donovans, the Clint Dempseys. I think the fact that they are so young and that 2026 is on home soil, it'll be with a lot of these guys hitting their prime. People are going to be excited if they, especially if they see the team get a win here in this group stage about, holy crap, how good could this team be in four years? And we'll get to see them in person. This concludes our broadcast day. Thanks for listening to the Media Noise Podcast with Dimitri Ravanos. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. And check back soon for new episodes. To stay up to date on the latest sports media happenings, visit BarrettSportsMedia.com.